Hey everybody, this is Tyler. And today we are introducing a whole new format to multifamily impact, the response. Last week when we had our report, we talked about rent reporting and legislation, litigation, and we got a lot of feedback from you about topics that you are passionate about and different perspectives. So today we decided to dive into one of the biggest stories hitting our industry right now, which is legislation being passed to ban revenue management, specifically in Colorado. So our friend of the pod, Dom Beveridge, came on with us and discussed what it means for our industry and the impacts that aren't being talked about. We hope you enjoy this. If you have other topics you're interested in covering with us, please reach out, let us know what you're interested in, and we'll try and get it on the show. Dom, you are the first ever two-time guest of the Multifamily Impact Pod. A lot's happening in multifamily. And just last week, Alex and I were doing a recording that we called The Report. And we got a lot of responses to that. But your response in particular, I thought warranted an immediate conversation. So I think that we had framed some of the advancements and I, we just, you know, recorded kind of an update, but we had given a, a perspective of, Hey, we, we think there may be a win-win here as it comes to different legal conversations that are happening in the industry. We think that there are some good points being brought up and you reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, friend to friend, I don't view it that way. You, have you looked at this? So I wanted to bring you on here to kind of give us your perspective and in particular with some of the most recent developments that you personally have been, you know, keeping up to date on and participating and representing the industry's perspective. So let's start there and talk to us about, you know, what you're seeing and, and in particular kind of your most recent blog post and, and what's going on in Colorado. Yeah, well, it was, it was interesting. Just I, I was listening to your pod and as I was listening to it, I happened to be looking at the statistics for a blog that I'd posted a couple of days earlier and I, uh, about the revenue management lawsuits and, and particularly about the experience that I'd had testifying, uh, in front of a, a house hearing in Colorado a week previously. Blog is the most viewed blog I've ever had on my website. So it had obviously hit a nerve. It was obviously, I mean, I, I've been writing a lot about rev the revenue management lawsuits and, and, and so on since October 2022. And so, you know, like thousands of people have downloaded stuff, white papers, articles, etc., off my, my website. But this in particular seems to really have captured people's attention. And I thought, okay, I need, I need Tyler to understand the other side of this. <laughs> well, perfect. And I appreciate that. And I think the, we're going to turn this into a, a regular format because I do think I am gr so grateful that multifamily leaders are listening in. And we do want to create a venue for open dialogue about things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And so we, we've touched on some hot issues and this certainly is one. So in particular, the Colorado lawsuit and, and maybe just speak to those who haven't read your blog post about your experience going and, and testifying. And, you know, disclaimer, Dom and I both, we got connected originally working in revenue management, right? We, we were both at Rainmaker working with the LRO product. You, you spent some time at RealPage. I was then at Entrada where we also had a revenue management product. So we separately have talked about where this all started, with the ProPublica article, but give us a, 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 your insight into just how far this has gone astray from what was originally just kind of a, hey, world, this is this revenue management practice is going on now to the extreme of banning revenue management full stop. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I mean, most people are probably aware of the fact that there's this set of class action lawsuits that have been playing out since October of, of 2022. These are lawsuits where a bunch of different law firms are, are suing a bunch of different property management companies and, and vendors 
about some things that they view as contentious in the practice of revenue management. So that's very, that, that's very much a sort of litigation thing that's been, that's been dragging on. And I suspect will continue to drag on for quite some time. The thing that's different now is you're sort of seeing this stuff. It's election year and you're seeing this stuff now sort of metastasize into some really bad legislation that's popping up in states. Uh, we, we've seen the two big things that came out in the same week. We had at uh, the same week of the Colorado hearing, this Senate bill came, got released. The, 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 the Senate bill, I don't think is necessarily all that bad. It basically says if a piece of software is enabling people to price fix in the market, then it's illegal. Everyone already agrees that that's illegal. It basically shortens the process of kind of prosecuting or establishing that that's illegal, but it's, Nobody does any of that stuff. So it's, you know, I don't, I don't see that necessarily as that big of a deal. The one in Colorado, though, is very different. I, I became aware of that a couple of weeks before I, I went to, to testify. Colorado is, is not trying to outlaw a practice. It's trying to outlaw specific types of software and it's types of software that people already use. And it's doing it for reasons that are, in my view, bogus. Right. So I spoke, you know, a week prior to going to Colorado, I spoke with somebody from the general council of the, the Colorado Apartment Association. Colorado is a very, very progressive state. In particular, it has a very progressive, like lower house. But the, the basic idea is like all legislation, it has to go through multiple steps before it becomes the law of the state. And what I was told is it's, it's very, very helpful to get testimony in opposition onto the record so that as this thing progresses, the, the counter arguments are, uh, are clear to the people who are uh, ultimately considering passing it into law. It would be very helpful if, uh, if you could be in Denver. And just by complete coincidence, I happened to be in Denver that day. So I took some time to go down to the, to the Capitol and, and yeah, just said my, said my piece on the record. So I'm curious, I've read the, the blog post now, as you've highlighted, there's a difference here between the class action litigation that's going to play itself out and what's turning into legislation, both at the federal and local level. We as an industry, and this has always been shocking. I've, I've explained this to people who are new to multifamily. You know, they, they come in as technologists and they end up becoming multifamily passionate individuals. And kind of regardless of where you fall on the blue to red political spectrum or purple in between, that it seems our industry understands through experience that generally speaking, we align that rent control does not serve the purpose that folks have for it, right? And you can look obviously at the most expensive metropolitan areas for renting in this country and in other countries, you know, be that Toronto, the ambition of providing more affordable housing is a wonderful one, but rent control leads to a world in which the incentives become misaligned, the quality of housing degrades and the cost of housing goes up. Right. And that the, the multifamily industry, again, whether you're red, blue or purple, seems to all understand that concept. Your your point was that in a in an election year in a in an environment in which we are still dealing with very high housing costs, that a lot of folks may be rallying around this as a way to essentially implement rent control type strategies. And I think in particular, you highlight in the blog post that some of the commentary from individuals, the, the hearing that you were a part of in support of banning these things showed and maybe some ignorance around the real drivers of how do we actually set the price of rents and, you know, rents have come down in spite of the fact that, or, or air quotes, in spite of the fact revenue management is still in use, right? We're, rents are dropping 
but revenue management, this evil practice is still there. So maybe just kind of speak to ignorance is a strong word, but, but frankly, I think a lot of folks don't understand what the effects of rent control can be on housing. Yeah. Well, you've, you've touched on quite a few things there. So the important thing is to think about it in terms of incentives, right? So the incentives for the people on that committee that I testified in front of, that I answered questions to last week, it, it's crystal clear. It's just, it's, it's about what do I have to do to get reelected, right? That's what you do if you're a, a politician. And that, that sure. means that, you know, it, it, you know, you're a chief executive of a software company, right? If you go to a meeting and, and somebody says, I want this, you, you, your job isn't to just go and say, give this person that. You have to think about, well, what's the consequences on all of the other customers? What's the consequences on the technology that I'm responsible for developing and growing and so on? You, you, you have to think about stuff in terms of balancing various needs against the, the overall good of the thing that you're in charge of. That's not the way that these politicians look at, at legislation like this. It's this is an effective way to, to sort of stick it to the man. You know, nobody nobody likes nobody likes landlords. This looks like a political winner. Let's pass it. Right. The rent control point is interesting. That's a, a good way, I think, to contrast what's going through the Senate with what's going through Colorado and what I suspect you'll see at lots of blue state legislatures over the next few months is that the thing that's going through Colorado is very much like rent control. They're, they're saying you should not be allowed to do this thing that you're currently doing, right? They, they haven't established that the companies doing revenue management are doing anything wrong. It's just, it sort of sounds like they are. And in case they are, let's just outlaw this practice. It doesn't matter to us that that means, you know, revenue management very consistently delivers, you know, let's say 5% revenue upside on whatever, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a, an airline, whatever it is, it, it tends to deliver that level of, of revenue upside to whatever kind of business is using it. Like absolutely nobody on that panel was thinking, well, if I took that 5% off every new project, like the, um, the financial projection for every new project that's being considered in Denver, is that going to lead to more supply or less supply? If I have less supply, is that going to lead to higher rent or lower rent? They don't think about it at all in those terms. That's, uh, so, so, so effectively, you know, it's not even like conspiratorial. It's just so obvious that the, you, you, you get a piece of legislation like that. It looks like a political winner. Uh, I'm going to vote for it. I think, in fact, what they're doing is something very much like rent control. Because, again, it's the government that's effectively saying, well, the thing that we want to control is how much money people are allowed to make out of these assets that they've built or that they've purchased. And you know, ultimately, it will have similar effects to, to rent control legislation. Very interesting. And I... I could not agree more with your comment that incentives, I often tell people, I think incentives explain the world, right? What, what, yeah. what do I get rewarded for? What are the, the behaviors which allow me to survive, advance, et cetera? And those for politicians are different from those for landlords. And I, I really like how you framed that they're, they're outlawing an existing practice because they don't, they, you know, for political gain, perceive that said outcome rents going up must be the fault of the landlords. And so again, let's give another example to your point of unintended consequences. I, I've spent a lot of time in the Canadian multi-res market in, in Toronto in particular. For those who are unfamiliar, there were laws passed in Toronto, which is essentially, well, not essentially, limited what you could charge upon renewals for anything built within a certain time frame. And the consequence of that was that developers stopped building rental housing and mm -hmm. all they built was condos. 
And condos have very different economics and not everybody can afford to purchase. And it, and rentals became just out of control price-wise. And they had to rescind those laws and basically say, okay, well, after a certain year, now you can charge increases. Uh, because I think what you just talked about, and I'd like maybe to expand on a little bit is, you know, the, the knock-on effects of housing supply. Right now, we're going through an environment in which credit to the decision or the environment, you know, there's a lot of antagonizing over the zero interest rate environment, which I, I understand, you know, as a software company, things got overheated and there was negative consequences and inflation that came from that. But the positive is we're going to deliver a million apartment units in the span of about 24 months, which is the clearly driving factor, not revenue management, clearly the driving factor towards rent price growth slowing. Right. So you referenced here, obviously, the incentive structure and banning an existing practice. So what are the 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 maybe it's obvious to some, but maybe not to others, the the knock on effects. If I'm a developer and I'm go, I'm thinking about building a project in Colorado or in California or in Washington and all of a sudden revenue management is banned. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, capital is going to go where it will achieve the best. If you have states where the government is going to say, we want to reduce the amount of return that you are allowed to make on, on developments. You're, the capital is likelier to go to states where the governments don't do that. And again, it was, it was interesting. As it happened, like a week previously to the hearing, I had published, I, I'd done some work with Radix, and I, I published this study of three different markets. And, and I used this in my testimony in front of this hearing. We're doing this experiment at the moment in the US where there's basically these three different types of, of market, right? There's the sort of northeastern market where there's not been very much new supply at all, but you've got strong demand and that's where rents are going up. Uh, you've got the West Coast phenomenon where you've still got not much development, but you've got this moribund demand for, for various reasons. People are not moving back to the cities and so you've got stagnant rents. And then you've got this massive swathe of the country that has this record supply, like the Sun Belt in particular, and rents are going down, like rents are very obviously going down, rents are going to keep going down in, in those markets. Like it, it, it could not be clearer what it is that drives pricing in these markets. I, I can tell you that had zero interest, uh, like that was, <laughs> nobody cared about that at all in that hearing. And the thing, uh, just the thing that I picked up, it was through the line of questioning of a couple of the representatives on the committee and also through the sort of rental advocates who were giving testimony in support of the bill, There's, there is just this really strong sentiment that they just don't like multifamily. Like they think that in Colorado, this is the this is not Coloradans in general. This is the, the more progressive wing of, uh, of this particular legislature. They think that they would be better off without you know, financial institutions from, from out of state, like getting involved in providing housing to Colorado. You sort of heard people talk about, you know, they keep talking about out-of-state actors and large financial institutions and uh, in this kind of pariah way, as if it's a bad thing uh, in a state that has a housing crisis to have actors who can deliver your know, homes by the thousand. Like that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's something that we don't want. We, we want mom and pop to be running, to be running, you know, the apartment industry because that will somehow be better for, for Colorado. Again, I, I sort of, it's this disassociation between the policy proposals and the likely outcomes. Like nobody's thinking about this in terms of, hmm, you, the, the mom and pop operator that I'm thinking of, 
is essentially just buying individual apartments that are, that already exist and, and renting them out. They're not adding any, they're not making any impression at all on the actual capacity that the state has. But the people that do that are companies that I don't like. They're corporate entities. They're, they're, they're they screw regular people like us. Like, it's it's that sort of activist mentality that that people yeah. have that means that you, you don't think about things in terms of the of the overall impact this is going to have on uh, on housing affordability. Yeah. I, once again, I do want to state that Dom reached out to me, and originally, I you know we had very contrasting views, but as is often the case, Dom, you you make uh, incredibly thoughtful, coherent, persuasive ar- uh, arguments that I find myself just thinking differently and and building on. I, I do not. There's still elements that I'm optimistic about where I think this could go and that maybe is in my nature, but I also do absolutely see a lot of the, the risks that you're communicating and, and also see the behaviors that have led to negative outcomes. I mean, these are types of nimbyism that you're talking about that, you know, we're, we're pro housing yet we don't want supply. And, and, and for those who have followed kind of multifamily during the boom times, try to export multifamily to other places, right? We tried to take American style multifamily to Europe. And we've been met with similar pushback of, well, we don't want to disrupt mom and pop, right? We don't want these big developers coming from America and building these giant, you know, apartment communities, heaven forbid, when in reality, those markets, again, have incredible housing inaffordability. Now, I, I do want to pivot a little bit. I'm curious. You, you touched on this a little bit, whether it was in our email or, or the blog post, I can't recall, but the actual operational tactical um, impact of this. And it's not something that I fully understand. I didn't spend as long in the revenue management world as you have, and, and you've been in revenue management in other, in other spaces. If these laws pass, so we've talked about the outcomes on the developer, on the supply market, which are clearly negative. What is the, the impact operationally? Because if, if you just completely ban revenue management as a practice in housing in, in a, you know, state where there probably are, you know, a million plus apartment units, professionally managed apartment units that are using revenue management tools today. Where do we go? I mean, and what is the, what's the impact of that? You know, and I, let me just think out loud for a second. My whole days is, you know, are filled with talking with operators who are trying to operate more efficiently. They're trying to centralize because they, they you know, the cost problem is there and they can't keep property staff. So they're thinking, how can we centralize and how can we automate more? This seems like a step in the opposite direction where am I going to have to now hire a team of, you know, manual pricing experts? Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So the, intent of the Colorado law, if it passes, is that the revenue management systems that people are currently using there will become illegal. One of several things has to happen. Either the vendors of that software changes their code base to make their software compliant with this law. So that means the complete removal of any non-public information from, from their pricing algorithms. So that's one option. The other option is start using uh, an application that is already compliant. As we know, there's pain in switching from one solution to another, but needs must. Or the other is just, yeah, just, just stop doing it and I don't know, build an Excel sheet and try and make that work. But if you, you think about the work that revenue management systems do, which is making these predictions about what's likely to, to happen and and then playing Tetris with what expirations you have and what demand you think is out there, that's just way more difficult than people realize it is. Like if you had to replace that with, right, well, we're just going to 
do a pricing spreadsheet or something like that. Generally, apartments on average will be less occupied and more expensive than they were before revenue management came along because basically every decision to discount suddenly becomes very risky, right? You, you don't see this opportunity that like, okay, if you knock a bit off your price here, you're going to make more revenue over the long run. It's very hard to make trade-off decisions uh, like that because they're, they're sort of granular and they require quite a lot of, quite a lot of information. So the net result is, yeah, again, the, the sort of childish way that, that people think about this is, well, I think that revenue management is pushing prices up. So if we turn it off, it will push prices down. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's like the kid who's covering their eyes and saying, you can't see, I can't see you. So you can't see it. It's that kind of, kind of logic that they, that they apply to this, but that's not what will happen. Like you'll find that vacancy starts to go down and you'll find that prices start to, to, to creep up again, or at least, you know, the marginally more affordable deals that you might be able to find out there become scarcer uh, and scarcer because it's just harder to do because you can't price as much. Yeah. Well said. Oh, <laughs> I love the analogy. I've got a three-year-old daughter. so I've got <laughs> Hands over the eyes, hide and seek is definitely a good one. And yeah, again, the, the irony perhaps is that we are in an environment and I don't know the Colorado market well enough, but I know there are a lot of folks that have moved to the Colorado area. I would imagine that, you know, rents are mostly flat in those markets. They're more like the Sun Belt where we're seeing here in Tampa, the days of 20% rent growth are gone. And I think there'd be a very strong argument to make that while you can point to saying, yes, revenue management was the engine during the growth, it is also the engine now during slowing. So mm-hmm. yeah, that is that is very ironic of the, where we're going. Well, Dom, I really appreciate you coming on. We are super excited to continue having these conversations with you. Uh, and want to encourage other folks that if you have a different point of view, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to have a dialogue around this. I think what is very clear and anybody someday would love to read you my emails back and forth with Dom is we share a passion for this industry. And I think mm-hmm. that anybody who loves multifamily loves the fact that you can say at the end of the day, we're a part of providing housing and we want to see it be a successful industry for everyone. And there, hopefully there are win-win outcomes. And Dom, you've, you've done a great job here of advocating for our industry and highlighting for me some of the clear win-lose scenarios or perhaps lose-lose scenarios that are at play. Well, Dom, I want to transition to something that I'm a huge fan of and I think plays a huge role in aligning the industry around the conversations that matter. And that's 20 for 20. That is a huge service, in my opinion, that you bring to our industry. My understanding, maybe just give the, the team an update. Where are we at in the interview process? When, it, when is it going to be released? You know, let's, let's start there, logistics of, of the next 20 for 20. Yeah, the, as usual, the interviews were done end of tail end of last year. So I, I take usually a couple of months to figure out what we learned from it. I'm deep in the production process at the moment. It, as usual, it will be out by the end of February. So, so yeah, we're, we're, we're at the stage where we're deciding which, which statistics make the cut and what the, what the major stories are from this year. Every year I sort of pre plan with, I have basically three stages to this research. I do pre research with a bunch of people who aren't the interviewees so that I can figure out what to talk about. I then do these 20 interviews and then we go through synthesis and, and that's what leads us to the, you know, to the, to the paper. So, so it means that the stuff that we're talking about is like a bit different each year. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I think we want to make sure that everyone's aware of this amazing resource in the industry. So we just came off of NMHC annual and there's been a lot written about, you know, the, the changing and kind of, I guess, emotions of the industry. My perspective was that coming out of annual times are still tough, but they're known challenges versus when rates were still going up, there was kind of a fear of the falling knife. So in your questions, is there anything you're willing to share yet that either surprised you or, or is a new emerging trend or just simply a difference from, you know, your 2023 report to your 2024 report? 
Well, so, well there, there are a couple of areas that I wanted people to expand on. I wanted to, I wanted to know more philosophically how people thought about stuff. One of them obviously was AI. Previously, I, I've thought about it in terms of specific functions that people are using AI for. What I really wanted to know is how do you think about AI? Uh, that, that was the thing I wanted to get to the bottom of. 23, I, I was very aware that there were, there were several startups around in the, just in, in what we might call procurement or sourcing of, of technology. So, and, and we knew that in 2023, because the deal pipeline was, was slower, people were thinking more about the efficiency of their business. And I really wanted to figure out if anything has changed about the way that people are see- seeking, educating themselves, buying technology. Right. That the answer to that question was not what I was expecting. So those are those are a couple of areas. And there was this other thing. Hang on, let me get my let me get my notes. What, what was it? Oh yeah, centralization. I don't know if that one's interesting to you, but there was there was a great deal of conversation about that as well. Excellent. Well, I think that you on the topic of centralization, which yes, uh, I may say a few times, you had a very good insight and it's influenced me and how we think about our product development of really compartmentalizing the areas of centralization opportunity without, I am sure that will be one of the top things that I am interested in and many others are. Yeah, we'll save the good insights. I always try and block off a morning when I know the report's coming out. For those who are interested, Dom will also be joining us at the forum, which there's only a few spots left, but you want to keep talking with us over, you know, a at the fireside, looking at the ocean at Terranea, we would love to host you there as well. If you do not follow Dom, please follow him on LinkedIn, Dom Beveridge. Check out his blog posts at 20 for 20. And Dom, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have questions or ideas, we would love to hear from you. Please send us an email or a voice memo to marketing at funnelleasing.com and we'll respond on the show. 